If you would, turn with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. And I'd like for you just to go ahead and reach right in front of you there on your row and grab an actual Bible. I know it may be on your phone and all that good stuff, but just, just trust me. Go ahead and grab a Bible, and I want you to feel the pages of God's Word this morning as you turn to Daniel chapter 1. If you find that big book of Ezekiel, then you want to just keep turning until you find that smaller book of Daniel tucked away in the major prophets. He actually makes it into the major prophets even though he is not very lengthy like the others. He's not as big as Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. And uh, there are reasons for that, but we don't have time to go into it. So we'll just say he is a part of the major prophets. And um, we want to look at just a few verses here from this powerful, powerful book. If you've ever read the book of Daniel, you'll know it's a powerful book. As a child, if you grew up in church, I guarantee the stories of Daniel were told in those Sunday school classes or those children's ministries because they are fascinating. I mean, this is a power-packed book, yes, but it's also just plain and simply interesting. It really is. And we're going to be diving in over the next few weeks during this season of Lent We're going to be diving deep, drilling down far into Daniel. So I would encourage all of you to read through the book of Daniel. Uh, It'll be well worth your time and the time that we are giving it here together. Now, let's see here, Daniel 1, and we just want to read the first three verses here. In the third year of the reign of... Of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of of his God. Forgive me. We're just going to read two verses. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Would you help us unpack these two verses in a way that impacts us this morning by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you catch what just happened there? I don't, I don't know if you did or not, because it happened so quick and it's packed in with some odd names and some historical references. Notice what verse 2 says again. If you'll just set your eyes upon 2a, as we call it in Bible study, it says this, And the Lord gave. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you would ask Nebuchadnezzar if that's the way it went down or not, right? I mean, he's the one who, after all, built up an empire to take over the world, which, in fact, he did. This is Nebuchadnezzar II, and he does. And he comes to this podunk place that was probably a lot like Forest, Mississippi, more than likely. Just a small-town effort 
and he comes in, flexes his muscle, and the place is done with. I don't think he would have, however, looking back upon his reflections, saw it that Yahweh, Israel's God, gave it to him. I think if we were able to talk to him, he'd probably say, I took it for myself. I took it with my power and my might and my gods are greater than the gods in Israel. Now he's wrong on two accounts, isn't he? Because there are no gods in Israel. And in fact, the God of gods, the ruling king of kings, is the one who did in fact give this king and his own vessels to Nebuchadnezzar. It's insane. I mean, who does that kind of thing? Gives it away to the enemy. In other words, if we're tracking this properly, this is saying, correct me if I'm wrong, not too harshly, is saying that God let the bad guys win. That's a problem, isn't it? That should be a problem for all of us who say things like, in Him is light and there is no darkness at all. How in the world can evil be winning? And if you continue, as we will continue, to look at the book of Daniel, you'll realize very quickly the situation in Israel, in Judah here, is deteriorating quickly. It's getting bad. It is getting dark fast. And night is approaching. And in fact, Daniel himself is ripped from the land. He is kidnapped. And many other atrocious things begin to happen to many. Not just Daniel and his three friends. How is God in control when it seems like evil reigns? How is God in control when things aren't going the way I want them to? When the church is being persecuted. Last night, I read a story. You mentioned persecution. Someone else mentioned the freedom we have to worship today. I was reading a story about a pastor in China that borders North Korea. Ministered there many, many years. And he was murdered just the other week for his faith in Jesus Christ. They kept his bloody shirt. That was about all that was left after they'd stabbed him in the heart and in the face to kill him for his faith. But you know what? He had been under persecution for over 15 years and he kept doing it because he was compelled to go and help those who were crossing the border there. I don't know that I'm there yet. I don't know that I'm where Daniel is. But I pray that over the next few weeks that we have together, as we're all entering into a time of self-denial, that as we deny ourselves, 
God would arise in us, in our hearts, and shine His light to the world just as He so wants to do. You see, (laughs) Daniel, as he's looking back, this is not a diary, but this is a looking back now on the events. And he says, you know what? You know what? Even when things were darkest, even when that nasty pagan king came in to take us over, I was kidnapped from the land, more than likely even made into a eunuch. Even with all of that, God gave our king into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God's vessels into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God did that. What is he saying? What could he possibly be saying by saying God gave this? He's saying this very simply. God is in control. Even when things go awry... Even when darkness and the shadow of Mordor, if you will, is casting its nastiness across our land, God is in control. Even in being kidnapped and ultimately enslaved as the counsel for a pagan king, Daniel can proclaim God is in control. He believes that. And he gives it to us today. Here's what the Bible says. Our God is in the heavens and does all that he pleases. There's this catechism that I read recently and it, it is, I think it was for children. It said, it said what can God do? You know, my answer would be anything, right? Here's what the answer was. I love it. That's why I like catechisms. He said, all that he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he wants. That's interesting though, isn't it? In the circumstance here. In your circumstances. In my circumstances. God is in control. Here's what the Bible says, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. <laughs> First Chronicles 29 tells us this, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory And the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as a head above all. (laughs) He's the head all the way back in in Chronicles. And now Jesus is the head of the church. I hope the head of your life. Because God is in control. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor 
and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist because you created them. You see, here's the first point I think we have to take from this understanding that God is in control is this. God is in control of all things. All things. Just in general, he's the head honcho. He's the big cheese. He's el presidente. Of all the presidents, of all the kings, of all the rulers. Truly of all the nations and of our very lives. Isn't it interesting when we go somewhere, we always look for who's in charge? You go to a different country, you want to know who's in charge. That's important. Trust me. You want to have a point of contact. You want to know who has the money. You want to know who has the resources. If any of you have traveled, you know this is super important. And we look as a people, as a culture, as nations, we look for somebody to be in charge. And what we've seen... What we've seen in, in social experiments is if you just say, let's all, you know, in other words, all of us in here, let's all just rule. It won't work out. Never works out. 100% of the time, someone arises as the leader, either as a totalitarian leader or some kind of democratic leader, but nonetheless, a leader emerges. Why do we think like this? Why are we socially programmed like this? Because God created us. And God is the ultimate ruler. And he says, I'm the one who moves around rulers. I'm the one who gave you the president. Both eight years ago and the new one. And the ones that will exist after them. Or the ones that stop existing. God says, I'm the one who's moving the pieces God is in control of all things. Heaven and earth. Your biology to the physiology to the psychology to the physics of our world to the mathematical equations that get us to a GPS system. He did all of that. That's why we can calculate it. It's not a random world. It's an ordered world because God is ordered. He's the greatest engineer. He's the greatest mathematician, architect, scientist, physician, pastor, servant, volunteer. He's all these things. And God is in control. (laughs) You see, he's not surprised by what happens. Maybe Daniel was surprised. Here's a young man, we're told. A good-looking young man. A bright good-looking young man. And he gets ripped from his land. He then literally, for three years, we're told, has to go to the school of Nebuchadnezzar, which means he would have had to read all the mythology, known all the different gods, known how to divine the stars, and watch the patterns of the birds and the earth, in order to tell the future. But is that the way Daniel explains telling the future in this book? If you've read ahead, you know it's not by divining nature, but it is by the power of God that he can see the future. 
You see, this book of Daniel is an apocalyptic book. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, when we talk about an apocalyptic show, for instance, there's several apocalyptic shows. We're meaning this. They're not getting out of that. It's over. This is the end. We're nearing the period, the final statement. Daniel is the only apocalyptic book in the Old Testament. In other words, it's the revelations of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at some of these visions and dreams that Daniel has. That the king has that Daniel interprets. But I want you to know, Daniel was schooled in the highest levels of the technology at the time. And yet he never forsook belief in the true and only living God. It is a myth, my friends, to think that the smarter you are, the less you will need God. If you find yourself that kind of smart, understand you are foolish. Because the scripture says this, that only the fool says there is no God. I don't care how many PhDs you have, at what university you teach at, doesn't impress me for two seconds. God is in control. Not you, not them, not me. God is in control. And Daniel, with all of his learning, being in the cabinet, so to speak, of Nebuchadnezzar II, a historical person you can go look up on Wikipedia. He worked for him. He was hired, technically kidnapped, but nonetheless. And he never forsook God. And he writes now to us and he says, you know what? Looking back, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that took over. It was God that gave him Israel, his elect people. It's nuts, isn't it? It was God who gave him the temple and allowed him to bulldoze the whole place. It was God who ended the kingship in 586, ultimately, when he destroyed Jerusalem and raised it to the ground. R-A-Z-E. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Seems like a backwards plan to me. And yet, and yet. Some people won't like this, but I, have to, I just have to admit it. And that is, the series Harry Potter, I went into it thinking it was just some child's thing. Some dumb, you know, child's thing, witchcraft, whatever. Because that's what I've been told for so long. After watching the movies, I, it literally has become one of my favorite movie series. It's really the, one of the only ones that I watch over and over again uh, all the way through. And it's seven different movies. That's a lot. It's a time investment. But there's one thing in Harry Potter that she hits the nail on the head. And if you don't know the story, just as a flyover backdrop, Dumbledore is this loved figure, much like Gandalf is in Lord of the Rings. And he's in, 
spoiler alert, he ends up sacrificing himself, giving up his life. I mean, this is this powerful wizard. I mean, he's one of the most powerful wizards in the world. And he's good. He's actually good. He's a good guy. And yet, he dies. And you're just thinking, what? Nothing good can come of this. What do, what do they do? You, but, you, but here's the thing. You have a hint. You have just this feeling that he did it for a good reason. After all, he is a great wizard and he's very wise. So he's obviously doing... Nobody understands why he did it. They really don't. Except for a couple insiders. But he does. He sacrificed... And you're saying, why, does it, why doesn't he just get his wand and get rid of this Voldemort, Tom Riddle character? Just get rid of him. Just blast him. Kill all the evil in the world. And oftentimes we'll ask my students, why doesn't he do that? Here's why. If he kills all the evil in the world, if he kills Voldemort, the problem is he also kills Harry Potter. Because unfortunately, the night that this all got started, the whole scar and Harry Potter becomes a name. He was saved by his mother's love, but he was cursed by Voldemort. In other words, Voldemort, a piece of Voldemort, called a Horcrux, was in him. And I never forget watching it for the first time. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. This is the last Adam story. Why doesn't God, I've said it, you've said it, why doesn't God just get rid of all the evil? Never allow Hitler to be born. I mean, after all, apparently Hitler was going to be killed and Allied force drew up a weapon on him and had mercy on him And then he became who he was, the demon that he was. Why would God allow? Just kill him. Kill the evil. Get rid of it. Why? The Bible's very clear why. Because sin runs right through us. We want God to do and use the nuclear option. Right? Just get rid of it all. I don't think you know what you're asking for. It would mean sudden and instant and eternal death for all of us. Because sin runs through us all. Voldemort, you could say, in the gospel according to Harry Potter, runs through us all. But there's good news, my friends. Later on in the movie series, I I never forget it. It's a sanctification, entire sanctification. When Harry dies, this will preach, friends. I know you you might not like it. Go watch some movies, whatever. I'm telling you, it'll preach. Harry Potter dies. He goes to this heaven-like place. He ends up meeting Gandalf. Oh, sorry, Gandalf. God looks just like Gandalf. Um, He meets Dumbledore there. And you know what? Underneath a bench they were sitting on was this little gremlin-looking creature that used to be in him, but not any longer. Not since he died to himself. 
Doesn't that sound exactly like Lenten fast and self-denial? There is no resurrection life without dying to yourself. Because the problem is not God. The problem is not the devil. The problem is you. The problem is me. And it runs deep and it runs hard in all of us. We must die to live. There is no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. No resurrection without a cross. And there is no cross without surrender. God, my friends, is in control. He's the greatest wizard. He knows all things. He's very, very wise. And when things go south in your life, when things just are incomprehensible, you can trust that God is in control. Do you hear me, my friends? I'm telling you this. You don't have to worry anymore. I don't care what it is. Cancer, bad relationships, a failing marriage, you're going to lose your job. You don't have to be anxious anymore. I've actually looked at the back of the book. I read ahead in the story. We win. We win! We win! <laughs> Don't want to break my coat. The Saints have been to the Super Bowl and they won. It was a fantastic time. But we were in a deficit when we went into halftime and everybody was worried because we know how Saints can blow a lead. We know how Saints can blow not being in the lead. And because of a very game-turning play, an onside kick that we actually recovered that led to a touchdown, gave us the momentum to push through and win the game. Now, imagine your team, whatever that might be, Kentucky, Alabama, Auburn. Imagine whatever game that comes to mind for you where you were just nail-biting. I mean, you're up there, you know, you're sweating. I mean, your heart's pumping. You're watching this game. You're wanting your team to win. You have no idea how it's going to come out, right? Now imagine going back and watching that game after you know. It's a very different experience, isn't it? Why apocalyptic literature? Why Daniel? Why Revelation? I'll tell you why. Because he wants us to know who won. We don't have to be up heart pounding, anxious, wondering who's going to come out on top. We already know that good wins and evil will be destroyed. Can I say that again? There will be no more sea one day. It's not this day, but one day. We're in the third quarter now. We're in the bottom of the ninth, but there's no need to fret. There's no need to be anxious and troubled 
Because God wins. God. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't, I mean, maybe this word's just for me. I don't know. But God is in control. Not in some chump way of understanding it, like he's playing a video, video game, touching buttons, and he's, we're a controller. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a sovereign God that allows you to make real decisions and still comes out on top. We botch it all up and he still works it for good. That's the kind of God we're talking about. It's the kind of God who allows a pagan to come in and desecrate the entire temple and bring it to nothing. And he still comes out on top. And Daniel has the audacity to write something that says, God is the one who did that. Nebuchadnezzar would have had his head for that. I'm assuming he wrote it after Nebuchadnezzar II died. You remember, he actually works for three different regimes. Daniel does. Including the Medo-Persians. Look at that. Does God's favor rest on you? Or are you busying yourself all the time trying to make it happen? Surrender. Surrender. Give it to God. You know, sometimes I want to give my children great things, nice things like Legos, Ninja Turtles. But sometimes they're such a little snot. For instance, I'll say, Hey, buddy, I want, I want to give you this. Okay, great. But you're going to have to wait a week. Hmm. That's Frank's reply. Baylor. Back at least when he was young. He would just lock up. He'd, hmm. He gets so angry. Now, can you receive when you... Hmm. 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 You try to talk. Hey, buddy, I'm, I'm trying to say... Hmm. Hmm. If we could see spiritually, I wonder how many of us are locked up. I wonder how many of us are a three-year-old, really. I mean, if we could see the spiritual journey of each of our souls, how many of us are just plain babies in the faith still? Maybe been in the faith, maybe been in church 30, 40 years, 10 years, 5 but you're still a crying baby wanting your way, unable to trust the Father, unable to receive from God. Can I tell you something that just... I really honestly just can't keep it in. And that is this. You have to give in order to receive. That is the philosophy and the law of the kingdom. If you hold on to it, God can't do anything with it. You give it to Him, He can multiply it. Didn't He do that with the fishes? He multiplied it. To give you one area of something that impacted Jessica and I recently. Over the past month, well, let me, let me back it up a little bit. This year, we decided just to give a little bit more than we normally give. Nobody told us to do it. We just felt like we wanted to do it. Jesus, after, or God after all says in... Malachi, see if I won't bless you for what you give me. He can't bless you if you don't give him anything. 
So we said, you know what? We're just going to give a little bit more. It's not something. If I told you the number, you'd be, oh, I'll make that in 30 seconds. Well, we just decided to give a little bit more. And you know what? Within the past month, I just, I just have to share it. It's all glory to God. But I got a scholarship that was unseen. It's a postgraduate, and I don't mean graduate school because I've already completed that, but it's post after I graduated scholarship that refers back to when I was in there. Now, I've been out of seminary for 10 years now. It's crazy. 10 years. This may I'll be out of seminary. Master of Divinity, done 10 years ago. And yet, I still was paying off some of the loans that I had from my time there. A total of, that totaled $41,000. Basically, 10000 a, a, a year. Went four years. And I was coming down to about, about 9000 left, 10000 left. And I got this scholarship just out of the blue from the association for $8,000. I only owe right now, just to tell you and be, be an open book, I only owe about $711 on a 41000 I mean, I hope you know my income. That's pretty good over 10 years. Paying off that much debt's pretty good. And you know what? I can sit here for 30 minutes and tell you how it all happened because it wasn't my ingenuity. It wasn't my force of money even at times. God bless us with a house and we put some money there and so on and so on. But here's the point. Next what happens, we get a phone call this past month and, and we're going to be able to stay in a condo at the beach roughly valued at $1,700 for free. Save the service charge of $100 to clean it. $1,700 for my family to be able to spend some time together at a place that we love and that God created. $1,700. And then the craziest, you think that's crazy? Here's what's even crazier. I get a text message the other day. Now, this is just plain nuts. I get a text message from a number in Iowa. I don't even know if that's right, how to say that. I always feel uncomfortable saying that. And I'm like, who is it? And it just simply says... Hey, we're a clothiers company. We'd love to send you a suit. And they did. I'm not kidding you. If you don't believe it, I can show you the suit. It's at my house. It's got to be tailored, but it's a suit. This shirt that I'm wearing, this is the shirt they sent me. It's a $100 value shirt. I looked it up on the web. which comes out to a $300 value, which comes out total in those three events to $10,000 worth of stuff that God just gave me. He said, what are you trying to communicate? I'm saying that if you give God a little bit, He can expand it. I believe, I live on that principle. I can tell you that He is always faithful to His promises. I would say to you, just try him. Just during Lent, just try him and see if he doesn't. <laughs> you know, see, here's the thing. Yes, God is in control of all the worlds, at, at galaxies, and all this kind of crazy stuff that interests me. He's also in charge of the nations, but he's also in control of us. 
of you. Like, let's bring it down to a personal level real quick and say this. God actually cares about our little circumstances. Yeah, he cares about how the world functions, all this kind of stuff. Earthquakes, all this jazz, you know, nations and moving those around. But he also cares about things like when I lose something. Which, by the way, I don't really lose things often. They always come back to me. Justin had my, uh, a monkey man jacket of mine for two years. Jessica kept telling me, you lost it. I said, I don't lose things, babe. It's just stuffed away in his closet. Had no clue. Come out the other week. Well, here's what happened. I ordered an extra power cord for my MacBook because I traverse different offices, three different offices. And I'm always having to carry it. And it's just a first world problem. But I was like, you know what? It's just time for me to get another one. So I bought another one. The very day that I bought it, I lost my other one. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I literally, you guys just, I was just, I didn't even know what to think about myself. I'm like, where is it? Tore up the house, tore up my truck, tore up my offices. It's nowhere to be found. I can't find the thing to save my life. I, I miss it for about a week and a half. Looking, And I'm, I, start, I start blaming people. I'm like, I'm like, surely Rachel has it or surely... Anybody that's got a MacBook, who else has a MacBook? Raise your hand. You got my cord. And so I do something crazy. Yesterday, I, I, I pray that I can find it. I just, you know what, Lord? I, I don't know where the thing is. I don't have a clue. Just because nobody has a clue, I guess it's gone. Just pray. That's what, that's what the Spirit said to me. Just, just pray about it. So I actually really took some time and actually prayed about Lord, help me find this cord. I know it's not feeding children in Africa, but it'd be nice if I could find this cord. I, I hope you care about the little things. Help me find this cord. Well, last night, 2 o'clock in the morning, I was still up studying, thinking of you, preparing. <laughs> And I go to clean up my bag so I can just straight away put my stuff in there in the morning and roll out. And I just casually unzip the back of it and pull it out. Right here. Pull out my bag. Just, just, ca- oh, there it is. And God said to me, see, I actually care about the little things because what you think is big, moving nations and leaders and keeping up with the whole world, you think that's big. Everything is little to me. Everything is little to God. Nothing is too big for God because He's in control. (laughs) I just, man, mm, I'm very blessed this morning, truly. Mm. He can also heal things, you know. Here's what I want to say in the end is this. If God is in control, then let him be in control of your life. If God is in control, then let him be in control of your life. In other words, open up. Surrender. I can't do it, God. How many times has God come through for you? Those of you, those mature Christians in here, how many times has God come through? In the last moment. When you were just, I mean, clock's ticking, give up. He comes through. Because He always does, and He always will. We win in the end. God wins, and so we win.
if we're on his side, if we've surrendered, not to the enemy, but surrendered to the good, surrendered to God. Amen.